This is a more than just podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 369 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell. I'm in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined by Terry Lattonville in Toronto, Ontario as well. Oakville, Ontario. Oh, you're in Oakville today. Oh, my own, my own stomping grounds. So yeah. <laughs> no, I lived there for, I don't know, probably nine, ten years at one point. Okay. Yeah, honestly, I've been here most of my life, actually. Oh, so you're actually in, you live in Oakville all the time. Oh, yep. cool. So w- let me see, Blakelock or what's the other school? Um, TS something. Neither. <laughs> so it used to be Purdue. You may know it as Purdue. Oh, okay. But it got converted to a Catholic high school, St. Thomas of Aquinas. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's the name I know. Yeah. No, my, my kids went to, uh, they didn't, I have two sons and stepsons and they, they, four years apart, but they couldn't go to the same high school. Just was <laughs> not going to happen. So one went to Blakelock and the other one went to QE Park. That's the other one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess they were kind of rivals to you guys coming up, right? Or did you cross? For us, it was Loyola. Okay. Because um, it was like the Catholic school thing, right? Yeah. But yeah. Uh, when we played hockey against Blakelock and things like that, yeah, it was usually a bit, a bit of a rivalry there. Yeah. yeah. At, at Appleby Arena, by any chance? Because that's where I did a lot of hockey. <laughs> I would say a lot of times it was actually at Glen Abbey. Oh, Glen Abbey, um, okay. But we would also sometimes play at the, uh, the prep school down, down the road from us. Uh, Appleby College. Yeah, Appleby. That's what that's what I said. Yeah, that's. Oh, that one. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, the story. I mean, there's a whole bunch of crossover stories here. I mean, I went to Ridley College in St. Catharines mm-hmm. when I lived there. I got a scholarship to go, and um, it was great because you know, I I mean, I was not a real sports person. I wasn't growing up, and uh, but they had hockey in the evening, in the afternoon. So we went. We would do like eight o'clock till noon, and then we'd have sports till three, three thirty, and then we would go back Ooh. and do a couple more hours of class and be done at at five the only drag was it was six days a week right um but yeah but being able to play hockey was great um didn't really get into the other sports at all but um so i played i my first very first you know official referees on the ice game was in appleby college and we i was a goaltender and uh, yeah i lost you know i let in too many goals and that's the way that works and then when i when I moved to, when I met my current uh, partner, um, she lived in Oakville at the time. And so um, I think I was around 30 and my son, David, who's also a goaltender, said, hey, we need somebody else to play net. And you used to be a goalie, right? And <laughs> so I ended up uh, playing with them. And then there was uh, um, Craig Jenner uh, and his brother ran a hockey team. He was the, the uh, teacher at Appleby. And um so he ran a league, uh, like a men's league, out of mm-hmm. Appleby College, and so so Appleby was my stomping grounds for a good long time, right? So, plus you know you know like the news, like I said, the two boys went to Kiwi Park and Blake Lock, right? So yeah, so that's interesting. Small world, right? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So how did you play hockey much or? Yeah, growing up mostly it was just house league hockey. I got one chance at playing rep hockey. It was double A. But uh, we got shelled pretty much every game. Like, on average, I would say 40 shots a game. Just shelled. (laughs) Um, But honestly, I I really liked having the opportunity to do it. It was was something that I wanted to do for a while. Um, It's expensive to do that stuff for a while, so I'm glad that I didn't do it much more after that. Um, 
but no, I still love being a goalie to this day. In fact, oh, you're a goalie! Yay, I... another goalie! Yeah. Did you, see, did you see the Jacques Plante mask over there? Oh no! Nice. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. I, it's a it's a boy's size mask. I wanted to. I always wanted to. Ha- I that's the mask I wanted to have growing up, right? Because you know, oh, I'm a really? Dryden fan and a Jacques Plante yep. fan, right? But actually. Oh, you can't see it, but behind the guitar on the floor is a picture of Ken Dryden. <laughs> oh, nice! But uh, yeah, another goalie. Yeah, gets uh, great, great, uh, great news. We're we're the, the the sane people on the ice, I think, right? <laughs> I think so. And actually, I got to meet Johnny Bauer at one of his goals. Oh, nice! Schools. That was really cool. Although he asked me what my favorite goalie was, and I yeah. said Patrick Waugh instead of oh, Johnny man. Bauer. <laughs> oh, what was his reaction to that? He was, he was like, just okay with it. But my dad <laughs> basically was standing there like, no, you should have said that. Yeah, well, I have a Johnny Bowers. I have a couple of Johnny Bowers stories. But the, the, the big one for me is I, I landed in Montreal as a six-year-old kid, right, from England. And um, so within like six months, I was like a Montreal Canadiens fan. I knew Bobby <laughs> Russo and John Beliveau and Henri Richard, all the, you know, Ivan Cornway, all the players. Gump Worsley was the goalie and Robert yep. Vachon, right? And, um, my mother got me a, uh, toboggan for Christmas. And I'm like, oh, cool. I got a toboggan for Christmas. But, uh, I got a lot of teasing at school because it was the Johnny Bauer edition. Cause the Leafs had just won the cup. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So, I, so that's my own, you know, the, you know, the story of the sweater, like, uh, the, yep. um, famous rock, rock carrier, the sweater story where he had, he, his mother got him a maple leaf Jersey yep. and he wanted a Canadian one. So the opposite story, but. A lot of fun. Cool. So are you still playing that or? Yeah, actually, uh, there's a group of guys that I play with uh, in the wintertime on Friday nights. They actually, in the summertime, I think it is, they play at Appleby College. So oh, nice. There yeah. You go. Cool. So another, another small connection. Yeah, I, I actually, unfortunately, I ended up, uh, I, I only have goalie pads left. So um, I, I hung my skates up about four or five years ago, I guess. Yeah. So I played from 30 to maybe 57 years old. So quite a while. I played longer as an adult than I, than I did as a kid, you know? So yeah. And I actually got good at it. <laughs> took a while, but yeah, lots of fun. Cool. Anyway, we're not here to talk about hockey, even though we are talking about hockey, but we're Canadians. Um, sorry folks, those of you who aren't in Canada, you don't get it. <laughs> um, that's great news. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about you and uh, your history. I, so I, you know, as we were sort of, um, have you ever listened to our show before? Yeah, I watched all the ones that you had done with the previous speakers. And oh, cool. when I was at Tulip, actually, I listened to a handful of the podcast too. Yeah, well, interesting story is uh, you know I met uh, um, Elad um, mm-hmm. at. Uh, like one of our meetups and he just he just i don't know he'd been maybe six months in canada and he said oh i'm a big fan and so i got him a t-shirt and all that kind of stuff and and took a selfie with him and then the next thing i know like maybe a year or a half year and a half later he's my boss at td bank yeah right <laughs> yeah cool. so be careful who you say hello to in a pod in a, in a meetup right? <laughs> definitely cool. That's great news. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about you and uh, your history. I, so I, you know, as we were sort of teasing before the show, and this may end up in the show, who knows? But um, Terry worked with my old boss uh, Elad uh, at Tulip, right, for a long time. Yeah, he was my boss. He was my yeah. manager for a while too. Yeah, so a good guy. Um, great man. Great manager, actually. I thought. Um, yeah. 
But so tell me about your, you're currently at DoorDash, right? And yeah. uh, you're doing doing uh, interesting work over there. I know you guys have, uh, you guys, do you have a podcast? I think you have a, something like a podcast or videos or you, well, you guys have like, the, there's a lot of engineering. I think, I think I've seen engineering like meetups, stuff like that, where you invite people to have tech talks and stuff. Or? Yes, we have, we have hosted tech talks. We also have an engineering blog. Uh, I actually wrote about, maybe people won't like this so much, but reactive VIP. So we had a very um, heavy VIP or Viper implementation in a couple of our apps, but we wanted to do SwiftUI. And so there's a very strict policy on how things should be built. And I figured, okay, well, let's just replace the V in VIP with some SwiftUI and a hosting controller. Um, So I don't want to maybe give a big diatribe here, but uh, hopefully people will at least take a quick look at the article because I know there's a lot of companies that really use VIP and they may feel like they're stuck in UI kits. This might be an option for them. No, no, I, uh, 100%. I'm, I'm, I'd like to dig into that a little bit because I did actually look at the article earlier today um, and I was a little surprised. I mean, I, I mean, basically you talk about, you know, using SwiftUI in a sort of an enterprise kind of application. And then as I was reading through, obviously got to the Viper part and... Um, I mean, maybe you can maybe you can talk about. I mean, I think people are people are interested. I mean, like outside of uh, the you know the native people like me who who you know swear off of React and Flutter and all <laughs> that stuff, right? But um, challenges for us, we're also in the same boats that you know we have engineers that want to do SwiftUI. I mean, I do SwiftUI in all of my private work. Um, I'm refactoring my old Objective C stuff to to be done in in SwiftUI as well, and. Um, now that we've seen the Vision Pro come out, we know that's where the where the puck is going, as it were, right? Um, even though UIKit and Objective C are very, very, still very much alive, Objective C not so much. But so, can you? Why don't you give us the sort of pitch on how you guys got into Viper, right? And the benefits of that, and obviously testing and all that kind of stuff. But and then how you decided to um, start incorporating SwiftUI. Absolutely. So with us, um, we operate with feature teams. I'm sure most people do, but it's based on verticals. So uh, someone who's maybe managing uh, shop and deliver versus maybe somebody who's managing the actual food delivery portion of things, uh, they would be on different teams working on different feature sets. So I'm sure many people have encountered like the spaghetti that comes with all these shared types across your code base. So for us, we wanted to basically divide the code or have a bunch of seams around what we called modules. But basically, it's almost like domain-driven design, basically, at that point. And so a module would stand up a view, an interactor, and a presenter. And unfortunately, with that pattern, you have a single direction of communication. Whereas with SwiftUI, typically with your bindings and state objects, you go back and forth quite a bit. So it was kind of difficult to break that pattern. So that's why we sort of focused in on the view layer and said, well, let's make the view layer do the back and forth talk. But we still will dive through maybe a view model straight into an interactor, do some network work, come back. The presenter becomes very thin and passed through at that point. And then we would have basically a view state that would say, this is the current information that the view should be rendering at any given time. So it's a lot of moving pieces, but they're very purposely designed. And the idea is there's not too much confusion between them. It is a little bit more to implement. But it gets you to Swift UI, which is faster. Like faster on the screen, faster rendering, tighter code kind of thing? Or Actually, we found the implementation times were about 50% less than wow. anything we built in Swift UI. And uh, it was shocking to go through those numbers. 
So the dream for anybody that's moving to MVVM is obviously the the the, the hang up that UI kit, you know, storyboards, zips, and stuff like that are are difficult to test, other than doing UI tests, right? But um, and there was a there was a sort of a thread going for about a, a year and a half, maybe eighteen months, where people were saying do MVVM with Swift UI, and now they've mm-hmm. those same people are now saying uh, forget what I said, burn the book <laughs> I wrote, you know. Uh, now, now Swift UI with observables and all that kind of stuff is is uh, doesn't need that kind of thing. But so I'm curious from from um, someone who works on a larger team as well, how like does you're you're doing all the testing on the view model kind of thing? Are you are you able to do testing with the Swift UI pieces, or does it, you just don't bother because it's a view? With the Swift UI pieces, we actually do uh, snapshot testing. Okay. So a colleague of mine uh, using the stuff that Point Three has with their um, I forget the name of the architecture they, they released, but they had a, uh, a snapshotting tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wrote an open source framework that basically made that just a little bit simpler to do. And so we have snapshot tests for pretty much every Swift UI preview we have. Okay. Um, I know when a lot of people think that snapshot tests are you know tricky and they can be a little bit of extra cruft that might make your build times and your CI a bit flakier. But honestly, on such a large team, you kind of just need those, those heavy guardrails in place just because you could be touching something in a remote area of the code base that might accidentally break something else that you don't even know about. So ironically, I was just talking to Snapshot about snapshot testing with my, with my lead today. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I think we were talking about Kaleidoscope as a, as a tool, that's the one you were looking at. Mm-hmm. But I've done some stuff with, with Fastlane uh, in that sense. But so from a snapshot point, snapshot testing, I guess you're testing on multiple devices, iPads, various phone sizes, that kind of thing. I guess Android as well, or just on, on the iOS side? So my team, I'm on the Dev Infra team, so uh, specifically the iOS Infra mm-hmm. team. Um, and we focus solely on iOS. Uh, I know Android does have a series of tests and things they do, but I don't actually know for sure if they're doing snapshot testing the same way we are. Um, but for UI tests, or I guess like more like end-to-end tests, we're actually working on automating a bunch of that stuff um, but they're the hardest thing to write, so they can get very flaky. The data really impacts how good they are. Um, so we've kind of settled on, yeah, like you said before, the view models being unit tested. Um, we have we have in our consumer app actually something called we've called MVVM with services. And so our web service layer, because there's so many teams and so many different things that we talk to, um, those are almost modularized in a way. Um, probably talk about this a bit. Uh, in the talk at the conference, but um, we've actually devised a layer system to try to help with that as well. Um, but yeah, we use MVVM for our consumer app. We're moving in that direction with our Dasher app. But when I first joined DoorDash, uh, I guess to bring it back to Reactive VIP, uh, we were still very strict on, we didn't want to introduce too many ways to do the same thing, build UIs, build things that talk to services. So that's also why we are restricted to just changing the view layer to Swift UI. Um, but I honestly think I would recommend anybody at least give it a try if you're looking for a small introduction, because Swift UI takes a big adjustment. Like if you've not worked with it before or you have a rough idea what it is, there's corners you're going to find as you work with it. Yeah, have you? Uh, a whole bunch of questions come to mind, but <laughs> but the first first one is simple: is like, have you? The seeing the way that observable has changed in in iOS 17 and and what they introduced, uh, how does that affect your use of SwiftUI with your? Because I know you're using, you mentioned bindings and state objects and stuff like that in, before. 
Honestly, I would say they would change exactly how Apple showed. Like, we would just start using the new observable protocol and then ditch. Like, we usually have state objects, observable objects, um, and those can trip you up as well, right? Like, if you're recreating a view and you have an observable object, well, oops, something might go wrong there. Um, if you have something that's managing a state object, uh, like, there's there's tons of just funny corners to that stuff alone. So I think, if anything... Uh, as the infra team, we might even go in and just say, okay, we're doing a sweeping change. We're migrating to observables today. Let's see if we can't make sure, you know, our snapshot tests and our other tests catch this stuff. But uh, we release uh, a test flight app, actually, we call internally the Red App, uh, for us to basically dog food. So all employees are supposed to use this version of the app, and it's a nightly release. Whereas normally we do like an every two weeks update for a regular customer. So, and just on the snapshot piece, um, so you're, for those who don't know the whole process here, you're basically taking a reference snapshot before a change goes in, and then how do you, and you're comparing the two visually, but do you have a tool that, like, we overlay one view over the other to see that, you know, something's moved or not aligning properly? Like, how do you, how do you, what do you do with the two, the reference shot and the, and the current state shot? Yeah, so uh, I think you were asking it before. We mostly just fix the specific device type that we're testing on. And so it'll be an iPhone SE or an iPhone 8. And then CI will generate any new snapshots that haven't been added, but we've added in uh, with the, the library that I spoke of earlier. Um, but then they would just be compared pixel to pixel. We can give it sort of a granularity, like 90% match, that kind of stuff. But you'd be surprised even what like a 98% match will uh, will let through. Um, but no, we just, um, I believe it's just with like the Xcode tests and uh that snapshot framework the the tests or sorry the snapshots are generated automatically and they're 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 programmatically compared or they're image or visually compared oh okay cool that's neat yeah it's an interesting interesting thing i hadn't really i I looked at snapshots a while ago and like i said we just mentioned it we just talked about it today ironically um cool so, uh, and you you talked a little bit about what you were thinking about talking at at uh, SwiftTO. By the way, that's why we're talking to Terry today. <laughs> He's going to be speaking at SwiftTO. Uh, we get your tickets. Come see him. Come come see me. Um, but yeah, so uh, wanted to tell us a little bit about what you're planning or you're thinking about. I don't know if you've got your maybe what happened in the last couple of weeks has changed some of your talk, but it, it might end up being a footnote at the end. But no, I'm going to be talking about the Swift Package Manager. I know that's been on people's radar to adopt for a while, but there's just been that little thing that was missing. I think it's in a really good spot now because, honestly, we use it as 100% our package manager tool mm-hmm. of choice. Um, but I'm also going to be talking a little bit about the layers that we devised um, because the thing that's missing with package manager is just managing the spaghetti that is dependencies, what can import what, and things like that. So I'm going to talk about sort of what we've done with Swift Package Manager and things we've built to sort of reinforce and use it better. Yeah, we're also using Swift Package Manager at my day job too. But um, so I'm curious. Do you you mentioned you're on? I sorry, caught missed the name of the team. But so do you? Does Door, DoorDash? Let's let's talk about what DoorDash has. I mean, you've got Dashers, which are the people who go out, and it's not just um, delivering food now, right? You're also doing grocery shopping and that kind of stuff too. You're in those different areas, but so you have an app for the dasher who's the person who's going to the store or to pick up thing and find out where the address is. And then you've got things for like, I'm the consumer who that mm-hmm. uses DoorDash to pick my sushi or whatever it is I'm getting for the evening. Um, 
so how does like how do you do you have like common frameworks that are shared across the various apps and how do you manage that kind of stuff if you can talk about it yeah um we do so we have a number of different packages that we share across the applications like login is a login is a login um we also have uh, third-party frameworks that we share across things like everybody else does um but right now the apps are built from separate repositories we're really hoping to try to bring that together in a auto repo but that's a really big shift for a company to make right um, right but in the end i think it's it's starting to become worth it because we've standardized so as the infra team we're standardizing the architecture across our applications so like i said dasher had uh, vip for a while we moved to mvvm we're now basically putting in some examples and putting in the foundational pieces to bring Dasher up to speed. Um, but to speak to just quickly what we do is we actually see ourselves as logistics. So um, we have the ability to do, obviously, groceries, um, food deliveries, but we've even actually had uh, Toys R Us white label services. So if you go to Toys R Us's website, you nice. can see that DoorDash will be able to deliver on certain orders as well. Right. Oh, that's that atmosphere i've seen your name <laughs> pop up uh, quite often on on various retail outlets but that's interesting um cool let, 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 let's dial back a little bit i'm just curious i mean i like to ask i don't know if people care but <laughs> i like to know um how did let, let me let me let's go back like when did terry first find a computer and and what was that what was that experience like how about how far back do you go were you a gamer or were you a computer guy first for me, it started when my dad brought home a 386. Oh, yeah? It had uh, DOS 5 or 6 with Norton Commander and a whole bunch of just DOS games. So, yes, definitely I'm a gamer. Started out with games. Um, but it wasn't until high school that I started looking at programming. Um, I was one of the ones who had an OAC or a grade 13. And would you believe it, our grade 13 programming course was actually canceled. Because of wow. lack of interest. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, then in, in uh, grade 12, I sort of figured, yeah, this is the right sort of path for me. Uh, so I have actually applied to university for a Bachelor of Science with uh, computer science as sort of the emphasis. And when I got there, they immediately said, okay, everybody that's in Bachelor of Science, we have this new program called a Bachelor of Computing. You basically don't have to do as much science in the beginning. Um, so you don't have that sort of shared first year that a lot of students have. Um, and I just, I jumped at the chain. It offered, there was even co-op offered with it. So honestly, that sort of just took me off to the races. Yeah, for me, it's interesting. Um, yeah, in my high school, I, I went to high school in Toronto and um, the level six, well, I was level five math. I, it was good at math and science and stuff like that, but I didn't apply myself, right? Uh, so if you're listening at home, do your homework, do your reading. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I tell you, it pays off. Uh, but so the, the level six guys were the guys who would go off and do the computing and they would carry around the boxes of punch cards and stuff like that. And, and they got to do the cool stuff. And I didn't get to see a computer actually, like an Apple II, until I was actually at York. I was in a fine arts program and I, in a music class, I saw a computer in the corner and I'm like, what is that doing there? <laughs> and uh, that's, that's kind of how the interest got started for me, but that's cool. And did you, so the 386, did it, were you like an IBM guy the whole time, all the way through, PC compatibles, or did you, when did you discover that Mac's the right way to go? <laughs> Honestly, I bought my first Mac in 2011. Um, I was working with ActionScript, actually, at the time. I was like, mm, this, this is terrible, I want to learn something better. Like, 
I wanted to learn C++ because honestly, I really wanted to be a game developer. I came out of school. I had done some OpenGL, uh, just played around with like primitives and shaders and things like that. Um, but I was like, I didn't really see how to get from A to B. Uh, so with the Mac, you get, you know, access to like the terminal stuff. Like in university, we've done lots of Linux and shell programming and things like that. So that really caught me and seeing the Mac be able to do all those things at the same time, it was really nice. And with Objective C, you could do interop with C++. So it was kind of a nice happy medium to be able to do both. Yeah. I noticed in your, you did, you did some unity for a while. Um, mm-hmm. and you actually, are you still involved? I see Beeline Interactive. Is that like a gaming company or? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, ironically, it's a company that doesn't exist anymore, but it was parented by Capcom. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So we were working with their family friendly games. So I was actually the lead developer on Smurfs Village, uh, the infamous game that. So you're, you're the, you're the Smurf fairy guy. Yeah. Oh, so Jaime, game, Jaime would right? love to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> so Smurf, Smurf Fairies is a, is a long-running uh, uh, metaphor in our podcast. <laughs> okay. About parents losing control of their kids, right? <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. So I got in just after that happened, but I was surprised to learn that Smurf Fairies were the reason there's that 15-minute window that you have to re-enter your password to purchase Oh, them. wow. <laughs> Look at Junior Legacy. Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> not a great legacy, but no, well, we did we did other games too. But yeah, I started out as the lead on Smurfs Village. Yeah. Um, cool. From there, we also did Ghostbusters. We tried our own IP as well, and that's where Unity came in. I had actually done Unity prior to that, but the game never got released. Um, but we were looking for basically a way we could do cross-platform without having to worry about all the C++ compatibilities and OpenGL compatibilities between ios and android right cool i've done a lot of 3d stuff i mean i've been interested in it since i had like a 68k mac i was doing 3d graphics and stuff like that so uh so i've been around for a while so coming coming full circle and i did a little stint at apple too and i got to write a few articles on the reality composer when it was in beta um so now that you know unity is back on the playing field as an official you know kind of piece we've got swift ui we got unity we got now we have the vision pro coming um, are you excited to get, are you thinking about getting back into any kind of like vision pro apps or vision it anyway? Do you have any vision for it? Oh, wow. That's a bad, <laughs> bad name. <laughs> I, I would absolutely love to. I find the gap though is always like just the 3d assets that you need to do something like that. Yeah, of course. Like just working with the objects in the space. Yeah, I can totally do that. But what do you put in that space is always the, the part that's tough for me. But no, I'm super excited to see Unity uh, in that space. I actually, um, I was interviewing with Unity at one point, and uh, they had this really interesting technology where, imagine you're watching a live sports game, and mm-hmm. then you pause the game, and then with the power of Unity, you could actually go in and see what shoes that person was wearing. You could pan into the field. Um, like, it was, it was incredible. It would capture what happened in the game, and you could go back and forward. Uh, it was really neat. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like, I only, I, I don't know, they had a demo game that you, when you first load up the thing, there was like a tutorial game that was mm-hmm. super cool looking stuff, but I'm I'm just, I'm not a, that much of a gamer, I guess. I mean, I've played games, obviously, but I mean, like, I played Last of Us just recently, and, and uh, Red Dead Redemption, and like the 3D world, you can just forget the game, you can just explore, run around, and steal horses, <laughs> and, you know, um, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, so it, it's interesting to see where that's going to go, and I've, you know, I've obviously been having, you know, visions in my head of 
you know, I've worked with QR codes, like not QR codes, but the, you know, the targets where you scan the target and you have the 3D experience come out of the, on your iPad or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens. Um, you know, people keep asking me, am I going to buy one? And my, my brain says no, but my heart says, oh yeah, I'll be driving to Buffalo. <laughs> Are you coming with me to Buffalo to get one? Or what do you think? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I don't think my wife would let me back in the house. No. <laughs> yeah, well, mine understands, so I guess I'm lucky that way. Um, cool. Um, so, uh, I don't know what else we can do. So, I've got a, a you've, you've, you've listened to this show, so you know that I've got these weird questions I like to ask people to sort of uh, peel back the onion, get to know you a little bit better. So, mm-hmm. if you're seated comfortably, you can start with those questions. Um, I'll start with the first one, which is I've got memorized. And this is a Marcel Proust question, but what is your motto? What's the reason why Terry come, people come to Terry? Explain things simply. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was ever attributed to Albert Einstein. Sometimes you might see him yeah, attributed to like explain something as if you would explain it to your grandmother. But like I've always tried to do that because the other way you've heard, I've heard it said is if you can't explain something simply, then you don't truly understand. That's the Einstein version I've heard. Yeah. I, th- I think that's Einstein, but uh, that's the one that always resonated with me, with me the most. Um, my, my, I have a, a, did an entrepreneurial um, group I was belonging to, and, they, and one of the things they, they talk about is learning your unique ability, and, and mine is, is very similar to that. It's like basically make solutions that help people embrace change. Um, well, speaking of change, if you could change something about yourself, what would it be? I think I'd like to be taller. Taller <laughs> and make a better goalie because I'd be taller. You do, yeah. I wonder about that. You know, it's funny you get, if you've listened to the show, but um, as you know, the Seattle Kraken ha- now has a professional hockey team, and they actually did fairly better they did than amazing. our, yeah, better than our Leafs, right? But um, like giving up on the Habs, and now I'm a Leaf fan. But um, <laughs> uh, Hyman's theory is that you get the biggest goaltender you can and you just stuff him into the net, right? Like, like there's a, I think there's a jokey commercial where like it's a walrus playing net on a, on one of the sports <laughs> net commercials. Right. And I've tried to explain to him, it doesn't matter how big the goaltender is, right? If a good goal scorer is coming in on you, they'll find those holes, right? Um, <laughs> you agree with that? I don't know that I do. Um, if you look at some of the goaltenders, like I think Hill from the Vegas Knights is pretty tall. Um, I don't, I don't know if Grubauer was very tall, but uh, just, seeing, just seeing these guys, like, they can touch both posts with their legs when they're in the yeah, That's um, true. I don't do that. I'm not quite that tall. Uh, but I was listening to, I think it was a video on YouTube, and they were talking about what makes a good team that can win the Stanley Cup. And it's not mm-hmm. just people that are really hungry and excited or anything like that, but it's also having, like, most of your team average at about six foot two. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I've seen, I've watched a few games. I saw Gretzky play a couple of times, and he's again he's about our height too, right? And we're five eleven. Mm-hmm. For those of you driving at home, um, and I saw him play in New York, and he was one of the smallest guys on the ice. Surprisingly, like the, the players up there are, are pretty pretty tall. In fact, I played with a, a friend of mine who actually was in in the NHL for a couple of shifts, as it were, um, and he was tall too, like you know, like a big guy, right? So yeah, it's interesting. Speaking of Gretzky, real quick. Um, one of the people that I play hockey with on Friday night, when he was growing up, he played in tournaments against Bangrepki. Oh, wow. And he was telling me he was incredibly athletic. Yeah. So if you remember the, um, the Ontario place race, he blew those people away. If you haven't seen it, 
he's racing against like Bo Jackson. Uh, no, this is a running race, like yeah, okay. Yeah, so they had they had them on like a, an athletic track at yeah. Ontario Place, and Gretzky beats them. I think they're doing like a hundred meter dash. Gretzky beats them by almost half. Of it. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. So we were <laughs> the first time I went to New York with my wife. She said, "You know, we can go see a Broadway play, or we can go see the Rangers play." And I went, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> So we went and found, we talked to the concierge, got tickets to see the, the Rangers play against the, the New York Islands. It was, it was Pat Lafontaine's, uh, I think his last game, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but so the story is like, it just, I've never, I, I mean, I missed his whole career on TV, believe it or not. I was in a different relationship, so I wasn't watching hockey at the time. But the, um, the guy was so in tune with, I mean, as a goaltender, you know, we, we watched the, the game a lot, right? So from from in terms of how he was on the ice was amazing in that entire game he touched the puck four times mm-hmm. and on all four times resulted in a goal mm-hmm. right it's just phenomenal and then i saw him play uh, canada cup um and hamilton there was like we got to see one of the early games against the us and there was this, there was a um he was coming in on on the the right wing by himself and it was like maybe a couple of defensemen and a goalie behind him crossed the blue line or cross, yeah, yeah, blue line. Is it blue line? Yeah, blue line. <laughs> Been so yep. long since I play hockey. Cross the blue line, <laughs> and then threw the puck like just behind him, just threw it out across, you know, almost away, right? And I'm like, what the heck is he doing? And um, oh man, Russ Courtnell, mm-hmm. he was like, he had just started skating really fast, and 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 Gretzky knew he was coming, yeah. right? Because the the minute that he threw that puck away, it was like maybe a good you know ten feet or so where there was like nobody on the puck, and then Russ Cordell was right there. Like, how did Gretzky know that 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 kid would be there to pick up that pass? It was it wasn't a pass. It was he just tossed the puck away, right? Like yeah. just to f- a phenomenal sense of of, uh, of presence on the ice. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we digress. What's your idea of perfect happiness? It would probably end up being what my wife's idea with of perfect happiness with a few sprinklings of what I like in there. Um, mm-hmm. She likes it really hot. I like it really cold. I'm happy to compromise with really hot. Um, but probably on a, on a beach somewhere, probably with a MacBook sometimes, uh, just working on a game that I would eventually like to release to the App Store, having worked on it myself. Cool. All right. Well, I, I won't bother asking where you'd like to live because I think you just answered that one. <laughs> What's the best sandwich? Have you ever been to Oakville uh, Monastery Bakery? I know of it, but I don't know if I've been there. But I may have eaten stuff from there. So they make fresh bread. Um, we usually get the Kaiser bun. Mm-hmm. So usually I'll take one of those, and then I'll put... I'm a, I'm a Miracle Whip guy. It is what it is. But I'll usually put a nice, fresh, crisp slice of lettuce... Or fresh, crisp lettuce, a slice of tomato, some, um, some Black Forest ham, and maybe a bit of like marble or uh, old cheddar cheese. For me, that that's perfect. Because cool. honestly, those are similar to the sandwiches I would have growing up, like going to school. And so that's always just sort of what I I right. Is there a pickle on the side? I'm not so much of a pickle guy. Usually, the <laughs> sweet ones. I just it's I don't like the flavor of dill. Oh, okay. Okay. Cool. That's all right. What's the scariest animal? I've always been afraid of sharks. To be honest, I wa- I think I watched. Uh, Jaws the Revenge too early. Yeah. And it sort of stuck with me for a long time. Cool. Um, which living person do you admire the most? I feel like it's a cop out answer, but honestly, my mom. Um, she 
she's always like kind and caring. Uh, she's overcome breast cancer. She's she's helped our family sort of become who we are. Like she stayed home uh, from work just to make sure like we were getting to school and get all the stuff we needed. So honestly, it it, it feels like an easy answer, but to me, that's that's always who I've looked to. Do you have a big family, like lots of siblings? I just have a brother and a sister. Just brother? Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, cool. Uh, what's your favorite word? I think I like serendipitous. Serendipitous? It's just the way it sounds, the way it feels when you say it, the meaning? All of the above. Like, it's just, it's a flowy word, but also just like the, the accidental, like, good thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like that one, too. Have you ever asked anybody for their autograph? Not really, to be honest. Um, I've been to like comic shows where it's just expected, like you hand the person the thing and you get an autograph. Yeah, um, they do a drawing for you, yeah. But uh, honestly, I don't know that I've ever pursued anybody for one, no. Okay. Well, what's the most app used app on your phone? I want to say YouTube. So let's, let's see if I'm right. Yeah, by far. Really? Although it seems to be aggregating from my computer too, because Xcode is next. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that is weird. But I guess it's just general screen time. I've never, I've, yeah, mind you, I don't do it as much expert as I'd like to anymore. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like for me, I watch a lot of movies and a lot of, like, we're, we're recording podcasts after this. And so I watch movies and TV shows a lot. So I, I'm always going to IMDb, but it doesn't come up as my, you know, I think probably work gets in the way, like Slack's in there a lot, right? Um, cool. Star Wars or Star Trek? For me, I would have to say Star Trek. I do enjoy Star Wars, but honestly, I grew up watching, like, The Next Generation. A little bit of the original series, but most of the time it was The Next Generation. Um, I've kept up with some of them, but now that it's all over, like, the Paramount Plus, stuff like that, it's been harder to keep up with. Like, my friends keep telling me Lower Decks is amazing. I'd love to watch it, but there's just too many streaming services to, to keep track of. But do you have cable TV now, or not? No, we got rid of it, but, like, we have oh, okay. Apple TV Plus. We have Netflix, we have Disney Plus, and Amazon Prime, so, like, that's a lot. Yeah, well, if you, if you have Crave, um, all the Star Trek stuff's on Crave as well, right, in Canada. Um, but, yeah, if you, if you uh, we always joke about our, our, you know, healthcare, we get healthcare and we get Space Channel on cable <laughs> in Canada. So, uh, Space Channel shows a lot of the Star Trek stuff, for obvious reasons, right, but, yeah. But, but yeah, um, that's too bad. It, it is, it is actually, it's pretty funny, because it, it, um... They touch on all the different Star Treks and they make a lot of fun of it. So, but you haven't seen, have you seen, you haven't seen Picard or, or Lower or Stranger Worlds? And... I saw the first two seasons of Picard. I was a little disappointed the direction they went with Captain Picard himself. Um, I did start watching Discovery. That was interesting for a while. Um, I, I definitely need to get back to it. It's, it's stuff that I certainly enjoy. Yeah. Well, when you're ready, we have a podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Describe the rest of your life in five words. I would maybe have to say, like, love your family and teach. Love your family and teach? Yeah, I have two young boys. Love them to death. Um, but honestly, the reason why I'm even doing, like, the talk at SwiftTO and the reason, you know, why I am where I am at DoorDash is I want to teach people, help them become better engineers. Most of the stuff that I focus on is teaching. Uh, I saw you, I think... It was like a week or two ago at the Apple Education event. Right. Uh, I've been doing that for since it started, uh, I think five years now. Uh, and it's been just incredibly rewarding to work with these high school students to build iOS apps in the span of, I want to say, three months. 
So I've, I've always talked to my wife and said, like, my retirement plan is almost to be that, that teacher that everybody sort of, if you're, if you're really interested in the subject, you'll love that teacher. Right. If you're not so interested in the subject, it's just a decent teacher. I think I feel like that's the way I would like to go, but we'll see. I know you need a lot of other requirements. You can't just fall in and be a teacher. But that's kind of how I've tried to progress my career and progress what I do. Cool. Yeah, I'm on the same page with you. So let's circle back to the, the Apple thing. I mean, I just I just found out about it actually myself a few months ago and, <laughs> and reached out to um, Brendan about it. Um, so you've been, a, you've been a mentor on the program for a while? Like, is that your role there? Yeah, so I was one of the first ones. So uh, I think we have a mutual friend, Dana Smith. Mm-hmm. He approached me saying, like, there's this opportunity with Meadowvale High School where they're looking to using Apple's uh, Develop in Swift book from the Apple Books like, store. Yeah, the orange um, ones, yeah. Students would go through, and it's an unconventional co-op. They would be self-directed in a lot of ways, but they would be paired with in-industry mentors like yourself. And uh, at the end, they would at least produce a keynote detailing an app they would like to make. But there's no reason why they couldn't try to build a full-fledged app. And so I think I've worked with, I don't know, six or seven students at this point, And a few of them have produced apps. And one of them even, uh, I think, wanted to publish on the App Store. Uh, but it's incredibly rewarding just to see this stuff. I really wish they would update it to Swift UI because I think these kids just spend so much time getting lost in like constraints and storyboards oh, yeah. and things like that, that I think they could get a lot more achievement and feel like they've achieved more with Swift UI. Uh, but the student that I'm working with now, the one uh, that was at the event, his idea was incredible. He wanted to build a found phone mystery game. So imagine mm-hmm. you picked up someone's phone, and it was like an escape room on a phone, basically, that you had to figure out what happened to this person and where they are. Nice. You know, it's, it's ironic. I don't know if you can see behind me, there's a, an iPhone, original iPhone <laughs> box, right? Yeah. And so I got the box I bought separately recently, but, it, but it's the original one. It doesn't even have the App Store on the front cover. It's just, it does, like, it just, I think it has iTunes, but that's the original printing of the first iPhone box, but wow. I bought a, I bought a, uh, found a supplier who still makes iPhone one screens, right? And so I bought one. It was like fifteen dollars, like no brainer. <laughs> and then I went on eBay and I paid sixty five dollars for this phone that's inside there, right? And I, re- I restored yeah. it, put a new battery in it, put the new screen on it, and fired it up, right? Thankfully, the person didn't put a password on it because in the early days, who did, right? Yeah. And it's cool because I kept this. His photos are still on there, and I kind of like. I did the same sort of thing. I kind of reverse figured out where he was from because um, all the pictures are like, you know, in the Bay Area. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's a young guy and, you know, pictures of his family and pictures of him at places. And yeah, so if I ever figure out where the guy is, I'll say, hey, because what happened, I guess he must have had the phone for about six months and then the screen broke and then mm-hmm. he abandoned the phone and it just ended up in a bin somewhere and then it ended up on eBay and I bought it. Right? <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. how many years later? Like this is like, you know, 12 years old, right? So that's kind of a kind of a interesting serendipitous story there, right? There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the serendipity at work, yeah. For those of you wondering what that means, uh, but yeah, let's. This is a great time to to wrap up then. So, so you're, you're going to be talking. People like I usually ask people where people can get in touch with you. So first, tell us your social uh, network uh, information, and then tell us about what you're going to be doing at SwiftTO. Yeah. So for me, I'm mostly available on uh, Twitter at t latinville. Um, I do have a website. Uh, actually, ironically, I wrote my own 
Swift code to generate a static website with GitHub pages because I just I need something a lot smaller. But uh, terry.latinville.ca. Um, and then at SwiftTO, I'll be talking about uh, Swift Package Manager at scale. Cool. And before we go, so I did look at your site and I did, I kind of wondered about that because I'm actually, I post about 200 WordPress sites and I'm so tired of WordPress and, and the <laughs> hackers trying to get in all the time. So I'm thinking about taking some of my own sites and just turning them into static sites. I was talking to Daniela about this on the last episode. Yeah, and um, so I've, I've decided to go with GitHub pages. It seems pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, DNS issues, but that's, that's, not, that, that's not their fault. So I'm curious, so you writing, I'm curious about the, how you wrote the, the, uh, the website in Swift. Like, how did you go about doing that? So I basically started with the idea that I want to be able to write uh, either Markdown or a very simple JSON to represent some of the things that I've done. My page is really only just an index.html. I'm sure mm-hmm. I could extend it, do other stuff. Um, but that was sort of where it started. I wanted to talk about, um, I have an app on the App Store. Uh, it's called ER Mapper. I did it for a cousin. Uh, he's a firefighter, and his wife was looking to find. Basically, is he going to be on a fire call? <laughs> right. So um, <laughs> I was going to ask gonna you be... about that too, but now you've explained <laughs> it. So yeah, the idea is uh, if you have a loved one that's on a fire call in the Toronto area, uh, you'd be able to uh, just sort of add their name, their unit number, and it's all just based on uh, an XML that uh, the Toron- the city of Toronto puts it. A fire, uh, a CAD file, or something like that. Cool. It's yeah. weird. It was XML. I think it's now JSON, but it was a pain to work with. Um, but yeah, so my website, I just wanted to aggregate a bit of that stuff, a bit of some of the GitHub projects that I'd done, just to you know show a little bit about myself. Um, I, I feel like my website is fairly, you know, fairly basic, fairly simple. But that's really all I need. Um, but the idea was. I know I know Swift. I wanted to make sure that uh, it was a language that I knew, but I was really interested at the time in server-side Swift. Um, and so I started looking into Vapor and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, managing the back-end pieces of stuff, like I looked at Google Cloud Hosting and things like that, I didn't really want to pay for something that was just going to basically be a static site. Like I don't need comments. I don't need forums or any of that stuff. So I was like, okay, well, let's just generate this statically. GitHub pages is perfect because it's just, you set it and you kind of forget it there. So I just cobbled together, you know, a loose collection of types, used some of the command line libraries. Um, I did look at John Sundell's like website builder. I felt like that was a bit overkill for me. And actually when I first started, I had done HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and all that stuff. So it was pretty easy to put that together, but honestly, I just took a, a standard theme that I found, adapted it ever so slightly, used like mustache templates and things like that to insert the pieces that I wanted and printed out a website. <laughs> so, so it's output as HTML and you just publish those to, to GitHub with a commit, right? Correct. And it actually yeah. works in Docker because at the time uh, I that had a 2011 yeah. Mac and um, it stopped working because of all the stuff they introduced with uh, Apple's uh, metal language and things like that. Uh, so I couldn't really use it for Swift development. So I was like, okay, well, I can use Windows if I have you know, Docker being able to do the Swift compiling and things like that. So that's kind of how it worked. And now I can basically just run it anywhere. And as long as I've updated like the appropriate data files, it'll spit out a new version of everything and good to go. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you about that. 
So anyway, uh, my, my information is my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine, the Mastodon machine. And uh, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. I did. I actually did get a, a Gretzky puck signed. A friend of mine, one of one of my workers, or, or sorry, one of my employees in the typesetting days was yep. the uh, security guard or the usher at Maple Leaf Gardens on the visitors' dressing room. Oh, right. Wow. So in '99, my friend and I, we went and I think we, I think I paid four hundred dollars for a pair of tickets to see Gretzky play his last game, second last game at at uh, Maple Leaf Gardens, and because that was his you know retirement tour, and uh, I. Bought a puck. I actually bought a uh, that game I went to in in uh, New York. I had bought a Rangers puck, so it had the you know the the Statue of Liberty image on it, mm-hmm. and uh, so I gave it to to Craig and said, "Can you get this signed for me?" And he had it handed apparently to Gretzky's manager, and and he signed it and sent it back to me. And so I have a Gretzky signed puck. Of course, that can't provenance is my story, right? But you know, no, but that's still, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of cool, and I, I've. I have a Bobby Orr. Bobby Orr was before Gretzky for me, um, but yep. I have a Bobby Orr signature. I found uh, just I was poking around on Facebook, um, you know, the Messenger app or whatever you call it, Marketplace, right? And uh, yep. somebody was somebody had a Bobby Orr, like you know, less than two hundred dollars, just and it was somebody who had her father worked with him currently, and uh, he had given her this this autograph, and she's like, oh, I don't want this. So. <laughs> And I have a nice, and it's and it's interesting. It's interesting because you know the goal, you know the the famous flying through the air after scoring yep. the sudden death overtime goal. It's a different perspective, and you can totally see that the Blues guy is slew footing Bobby Orr. He was actually tripping him, yeah. <laughs> and that's why he ended up in the air, right? <laughs> so such an amazing, another amazing player, right? So what? So what else is happening with you in life, universe, everything? Honestly, I'm trying to figure out, no, I'm trying to figure out what the right sports for my kids are right now. Um, I actually tried hockey with my young, with my oldest. Yeah. Um, he was not interested in the slightest. He would come off about halfway through, say, okay, I did everything. Um, but parkour seems to have landed with him really well. So really that was well. surprising. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that that was a thing you could just go and do, but uh, apparently in Burlington, they have this warehouse is you know how a lot of places are just converting to like three on three rinks in a warehouse like that kind yeah. of stuff same it's size and climbing and stuff like that yeah rock climbing yeah so same size uh but like it's a parkour course and so he absolutely loves it my younger son 
he actually started picking up basketball. Oh, but nice. it wasn't until we just keep repeatedly asking about, okay, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? He, we tried putting him into skating, but uh, he hated it. He would just lie on the ice and make ice angels. <laughs> um, but now he's starting to pick up like hockey sticks inside and be like, mm. Daddy, can you play hockey with me inside? So we'll see. We'll see if we can sign him up to be a Timbit next time if he's still of age. My granddaughter uh, got to play at the at the gardens, or not, what is it, not gardens, it's called the Scotiabank Arena as a Timbit just mm-hmm. recently, yeah, so she's on Amazing. the team. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Um, she went down with her dad, you know, proud papa moment, and I saw <laughs> a video of them all sort of a mob chasing the puck, you know, but you know, that's cool. I've seen her play a couple of times, yeah. So, and my other my other two grandsons, are, they're definitely not <laughs> not hockey people at all, right, so... Although, honestly, my youngest has been drawing up a storm. So mm-hmm. he'll watch videos on YouTube that will draw a little piece and you follow along drawing with them. Oh, yeah. The stuff that he's produced has just been incredible. And then he'll color it in. And, like, he's fine. And he's, he's coloring inside the lines. Like, my wife does some of the adult coloring books. Mm-hmm. And so she had uh, this snake that went through the whole page. And it was subdivided, almost like... Um, like just different patterns, different yep. lines through the snake. And he was just coloring it like a rainbow. So he was filling in these little individual spots with pencil crayons. Nice. Just rainbow colors. It's it's amazing to see him pick it up. Yeah, it's interesting. and it, it, It's funny. I was just talk, talking to my wife, like, because uh, she does craft with, with my granddaughter. And um, I just, I'd totally forgotten about this memory. But when I was in grade one, you know, um, I wasn't drawing stick figures. Right? I was drawing full bodies. And and the teacher mm-hmm. made a comment on that. And that, that's the reason why I stayed on the art path, right? It's because mm-hmm. I had that initial, you know, pat on the back. That I think you know, like it's a, I, can get, I can give a talk on this about, about learning to draw and stuff like that. And, and what happens is we all know how to draw when we're kids. Um, we just get discouraged or we get, you know, um, yeah. somebody says, that doesn't look like an elephant. And then you're, okay, fine, <laughs> I'm never going to draw again kind of thing, right? But if somebody encourages you or... or uh, sponsors you then you continue down that path right so no yeah. it's interesting you say that because my brother actually went to sheridan college uh for art uh he would do amazing exploded views of things he did an xbox controller where it just all the oh, pieces wow. were split were spread out so then he ended up working for um mike holmes magazine where they would do like oh, right. exploded views of like heaters and uh furnaces and stuff like that um, cool. but now he works he does a lot of the advertising media for the Weather Network. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's interesting, yeah, just to see like the path that he's taken. But he actually originally went to Sheridan to try to do like animation. Right. But they would they would look at his drawings and say, it doesn't look like it's lifelike. It doesn't have that like extra little thing yeah. that makes it look like it's it's a lie. Um, which I think was a little hard for him to hear. Yeah. But honestly, his technical drawing skill is in- impactful. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting what teachers and stuff like that can do, like you were saying earlier. Like, I had, we all had an amazing um, high school teacher. In fact, if you go on the, my old high school's Facebook page, everybody talks about this This um, one teacher as being super fantastic. And that's the reason why I went into university for fine arts. Um, and a number of us did. But, but it's funny, because I did my grade 13 in Owen Sound. Like, I did went to school. My parents moved up there. My dad changed jobs. And mm. the art teacher up there was so discouraging. Like, you know... I was still probably one of the better students in the class and he knew it, but, but his, like his thing was you have to draw like a, it has to be rendered. It has to look life like, like you said, lifelike and 
I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, to me, everything like, you know, it, it, we were learning abstract expressionism in, in, high, in uh, high school in Toronto, and he wanted us to do, you know, studio illustration kind of drawing. And that's just, it was very limiting, you know, for me. I mean, for not for me, but I'm sure it was limiting for the rest of the students in the class, right? So I, I didn't listen to him. <laughs> that reminds me of a story, actually, in university. Uh, the first year of university, we had to do an English credit. Um, but we had a German exchange teacher. Um, it, was okay. the, it was the weirdest thing. Like, obviously like a German person English. teaching you English, is what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so we were obviously like reading books, doing book reports, all that standard English stuff. But apparently in Germany, their marking scheme is numbered 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Right. And 1 is a fail. Everything else is a pass. Oh, really? She had equated 3 to R50. Oh. So students were getting absolutely terrible marks. Right. And one of the students was an English major. And she's like, I don't know if I can do this. I can't, I can't do English if this is going to be what I get. She switched majors because of this teacher. Wow. Three quarters of the way through the semester, yeah. the teacher said, I just realized my mistake in the, in assigning in the, the grades. Yeah. Give me all your midterms back. And then it became actually a really easy course after that. But wow. I felt horrible for the, for the student. She's already gone, right? Major. Yeah. yeah. She had dropped the class because we had been past like the midterm mark. Yeah. But it's yeah. just, it's, it's incredible. Like, oh. Yeah, that's a horrible thing. Well, it, it's, I, I mean, I still, to this day, every time I multiply two numbers together, I, I stop for a second. My brain just, you know, the, the story is, you know, I was in grade two. We had, learned, we had learned how to add and subtract, right? And then there was this thing with an X, you know? <laughs> Multiplication came along. And I happened to get chicken pox the week, oh, that, no. they, the week that they learned to multiply. And the, so the next week I went back in and I said to the teacher, I don't know what this means. Like, I can't do this thing. And she, in front of the whole class, said, class, Tim doesn't know what two times two means. The class no. went two times two is four. And I'm like, oh, okay, so it's just another way of doing addition, right? Mm -hmm. So next thing you know, three times three is six, and four times four is eight. And in my little brain, and then, you know, t then, then it was the embarrassment, the embarrassment factor kind of made that mental block in my head. To this day, I mean, I can still multiply and divide like the rest of them, but nine times four, I think about it for a split second, you know, like, it's really, it's really amazing what, what, uh, what you can do in, in terms of setting somebody on the wrong path, you know, or the Absolutely. right path. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm big into teaching too. That's one of the reasons why, um, you know, I write for Ray Wonderlake and stuff like that. It's just, a, I want to, so I, Ryan Nystrom did a talk once. Um, he's the IG list guy from uh, back on, back on Facebook. Um, he, uh, he did a talk once and he said, he said, if you have one piece of information, you know, that you can share with somebody else and, you know, make their day, their life, whatever, better then you have contributed something. Because everybody, you hear it commonly, oh, nobody will want to hear me. You know, <laughs> why would you want to interview, interview me on a podcast? You know, uh, I don't have much to contribute. But the reality is everybody has something that is of value to somebody else, right? And it's just a matter of, like, taking, taking the time to, to, you know, be brave enough to just go out there and, and, uh, and share that information with people, right? And some, some people will look at you and with scorn and others will think you're the greatest thing. They'll ask for your autograph, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no, it's funny you say that because that really resonates with me because the way I've always thought about it has been, even if you feel like you're explaining something that's very simple that everybody should know, not yeah. everybody will actually know it. Right. Or maybe you're explaining it in a different way that they haven't heard before and it clicks that much better. That's always how I've sort of approached 
speaking engagements. So maybe, yeah. yes, I'll touch on some basic things or things like that. But like, you need to have a strong foundation and you need to see it so that everybody's even across the board. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've said this many times. Like, I constantly watch tutorials, read books, watch videos. Videos seem to be better for me than other things. But <laughs> And even I interviewed Mark Moinkins about his books where the visual core data books and stuff like that. And um, this, yeah, one person will say one thing one day. And like, uh, what's his name? Stuart Lynch. Um, what was it? it? was the light went on when he just, the way he said something about, um, I forget what it was, but. I talked about it on the podcast a couple of months ago, but um, yeah, it just it just illuminated this one concept for me that I've been struggling with for for years, right? Um, you know, yeah, like, and because I didn't do computer science, I basically I'm like a lot of iOS engineers I'm self-taught, right? So I bring a lot of baggage from other things. <laughs> no, it's been amazing to see how many like incredibly successful iOS engineers have come out of something like a bootcamp. There's yeah, nothing wrong. There's no, like. I don't even know how to say it without sounding like I'm saying something wrong. But like, I, I love to see those engineers. There's a really successful uh, person at DoorDash actually right now. He's working on um, some of our just like like crazy offshoot ideas, and he came out of uh, Lighthouse Lab. So it's really cool to see how him be successful. I actually we had crossed paths at TD Bank when I was working at Flybits. Uh, yes. He was oh, the one working on Flybits too. <laughs> he was working on the TD Zones project. Yeah, and so I was the liaison from. Flybits. Is his name uh, Steve? Yes, Steve Tran. Yeah, I used to. I used to be one of my reports at TD. <laughs> I really like Steve. He's a great yeah. guy. Yeah, or um, was he was a coworker? Yeah, I I actually taught at Life uh, Lighthouse Labs for about five minutes. But yeah, yeah, it's good to see him come out. And, and they've dropped they dropped the iOS track, which I thought was was such a shame. Oh, really? Yeah, there were some good. I know there's some good people still working um, in the Toronto area that, that went through that program. It started in Vancouver, you know, came over here. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they they don't do um, iOS as far as I know, at least here, right? But yeah, unfortunate. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. Say hi to him for me. <laughs> I will. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for your time. It's been great. Um, I have another podcast to get ready for. So <laughs> yeah, no problem. The, the buck keeps rolling. So no, yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And I'll see you in uh, in August at uh, SwiftTO. Absolutely. Looking cool. forward to it.